0: Am I reading this right? Actually, I am. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. This guy, I don't know what's going on here, but it's really intense. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer,
1: And I'm Janice.
0: And this is Bible Discovery TV. We learn in the Bible things like this. Very interesting as we go through the Bible in one year. Gory and Ryan are here to help us go. What's going on?
2: I'm gonna be taking a look at something that Solomon is credited with focusing on, and that is the building of city gates. Ryan?
3: In today's reading, God raises up adversaries against King Solomon for his great rebellion. My segment today is all about that.
0: That's interesting. And this is Solomon's successes and Solomon's failures. It's very interesting. His heart had a problem. What did you do, Jen?
1: Today, my segment is called Written on Our Heart.
0: All right, very good. So let's get out our Bible. That's the most important book of all. Get out the Bible guide. If you don't know how, hold on a minute. We'll tell you how to get one of those. And let's study what God said.
1: 1 Kings 11, verses 11 through 25. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David." I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king in Edom, for it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. That Hadad fled to go to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad, was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Peran, and they took men with them from Peran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, apportioned food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tephanes. Then the sister of Tephanes bore him Genubbeth, his son, whom Tephanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genubbeth was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me, that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, Nothing, but do let me go anyway. And God raised up another adversary against him, Reason, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord Hadadezer, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him, and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there, and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 11 through 25.
0: 1 Kings 11 to 13. That's 11, 12, and 13. That's our reading assignment as we go through the Bible. Very interesting. You know, 1 Kings eleven three 3 gives us important information about King Solomon. It says, And he had 700 wives and princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives actually turned his heart away. Hmm. With all of Solomon's vast wisdom, his whole life seems to be in a direct contradiction to Deuteronomy chapter 17, 16 to 20, God's Hmm. governing principles for kings. In fact, it's prophetic. If only Solomon was not focused on material prosperity, he could focus on supporting the spiritual prosperity of God's people. But ironically, Solomon's pursuit of prosperity, his kingdom gives away after his death. By neglecting God, he neglected his kingdom because he forgot. It was never his kingdom in the first place. During this time, Israel's enemies surfaced again, undoing the work of his father, David. 1 Kings 11, 6 says, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord and did as his father, David, who followed God. Hmm. Solomon failed to keep the covenant of God for himself and for the people of Israel. Now, this is fascinating. You know, the Solomon is is an amazing man, and the Queen of Sheba came to him and saw him and all that, but he didn't have the heart for God's kingdom. That's important to remember because Ecclesiastes is something he wrote. Nevertheless, don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. Let's think about this. Today we're going to be looking at enemies rise. Now remember that whenever God goes down in your heart, enemies rise in your heart. There's only two ways to go. Satan's way or the way of Jesus Christ. I want to be heard on that and say that today. There's not in the middle or any of that. There's two ways. And so my encouragement to you is go the way of Jesus Christ, Messiah, the only begotten Son, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's very important. Get your Bible guide out if you don't have one. Why not call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide, it'll take you to the donation page. Thank you so much for that. Then it'll take you to a page where you can download it instantly on the spot, the PDF files, it looks exactly like we printed it. So you can follow us, you're seconds away. As we read 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, Father, we pray today that you would help us to see the reality of what you've done. Help us to understand exactly how it's taken place. As we read today, help us to hear the word of God through the spirit of God in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now look at this. This is very interesting. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do this in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of the hands of your son. However, I will not tear it away, the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now this is before this happens, God says this. Although Israel failed as a nation, God keeps Jerusalem for his name. And Jerusalem is still kept for his name. God keeps Jerusalem, most expensive part of the world, for his name. We continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Have you ever heard somebody pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Do you know it's biblical? it is psalm 122 verse 16 very biblical that whole that whole chapter pray for the peace of jerusalem because that's where god is returning when he comes back so you know there you go you can check me on the way see if i'm accurate because i teach the word of god you can see if it's accurate anyway first kings chapter 11 verse 14 now the lord raised up an adversary against solomon Hadad, the Edomite, was a descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom that Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom. Because for six months Joab remained there with all of Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom, that Hadad fled to Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. And then they arose from Midian and came to Paran. And they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt and to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who gave him a house, apportioned food for him and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is the sister of Queen Tapanes. Then the sister of Tapanes bore him Gunabath, his son whom Taphanes weaned in Pharaoh's house and Gunabah was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh so when Hadad heard that in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that bore him or and that Job, brother the commander of the army was dead Hadad said to Pharaoh let me depart that I may go to my own country. And then Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? And so he answered, nothing, but do let me go away. Very interesting. The enemies of Israel did not forget their hatred for God. This is very important today. Okay, remember this. The enemies of Israel did not forget their hatred for God. We see that hatred emerging today for Israel, which is why we must pray for peace, beloved. The anti-Semitism and all of that we see, we must pray for peace. Because that's the only thing that will hold it back is the spiritual answer. We don't hate anybody, but we pray for peace in Jesus' name. All right, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter eleven, twenty-three, 23. And God raised up another adversary against him, Rezin, the son of Elidah, who had fled from his lord, Hadazer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men to him and became captain over the band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. This brings me to point number three. The enemies of Israel surround the nation, and it is the same today. We need to pray for Israel to come to Christ. We need to pray for the peace of Israel, and we need to pray that Christ would be there. Pray for Christ's return. That becomes very important so father we pray today for the peace of israel we pray today for your people we pray lord that you would make yourself known to him known to them in jesus wonderful name lord we ask this because we know that soon you're coming back Hi, Rod Henry. we go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting, it's great, and you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone, or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
2: You know, when you are trying to solidify a country in the ancient world, there were several things that you needed to do. One of those was you needed to fortify uh, your country enough that it could withstand an enemy invasion, or that it would be so well fortified that an enemy would think twice before trying to invade your country. Now one of the ways that Solomon did this, and, and the later kings of Israel and Judah would also replicate this was to fortify individual cities and create elaborate gate structures uh, that were designed to be very difficult to break into. Let's take a look at city gates. City gates in the biblical world had many functions. And if you look closely, all of the functions known from history are demonstrated in the Bible. First, we need to understand the layout of city gates. They weren't just oversized doorways. A lot of planning went into their construction, as their most obvious function was defense. They were a natural weak point in the city wall that had to be fortified. Double gates were often employed to solve this problem. There would be an outer gate, a courtyard, and then an inner gate. This double gate system created a public space, its courtyard, that was home to all sorts of interactions. The Bible tells us that the elders of a city sat in the gate, presumably the courtyard. Here, the elders were responsible for facilitating and witnessing business transactions, like Boaz becoming Ruth's kinsman redeemer in Ruth chapter 4. And the elders were responsible for delivering legal judgment. In Deuteronomy, we learn how people accused of crimes would be brought before the elders at the gates, and that if the death penalty was given, it was done right there. This is no doubt one of the reasons that Deuteronomy also admonishes the Israelites to write the laws of God on their gates, keeping those elders on target. Public messages could also be delivered at the gate, and 2 Kings 7 tells us that flour and barley were either sold here or their prices were determined here. Interestingly, archaeology has revealed large public buildings close to city gate complexes. These are sometimes interpreted as stables, but may actually be public storerooms where goods could be purchased. Once Israel appointed a king over themselves, he too had a special spot at the city gate. King David has an interesting history with city gates. What may have been his most humiliating moment happened at one. He faked a severe mental breakdown to escape a powerful enemy. He survived though, which leads to another unfortunate event later in his life. His son Absalom had launched rebellion against him, initiated by stopping people on their way to Jerusalem's gate to receive David's judgment. David reluctantly launched a counter attack after full war was declared. The Bible is really specific in detail here. David stands by the gate while his entire military walks out to battle, then sits in his seat in the gate, waiting. When he receives the news of Absalom's death, he's overcome and leaves the gate to cry, which is a bad sign for the people. Apparently, the king's authority in the gate after war was essential, so David comes back and resumes his place of authority. Excavations at the northern city of Tel Dan revealed a gate complex dating to the 9th century B.C. There was a built-in bench, perhaps where elders would sit. But most intriguingly of all, there was a raised platform with decorative stone sockets, likely used to hold the poles of a canopy, a seat fit for a king. Now, due to the cultural significance of the city gate, and by cultural significance, I mean all of the different events that would go on in a city gate, you can learn a lot by taking a look at the remains of city gates, and archaeologists definitely have done this, especially when we get later uh, on in the time period of Judah and Israel specifically, when, you know, their ends began to come, first with the Assyrian invasion and then with the Babylonian invasion. What archaeologists find in those gates really reveals a lot about the culture of ancient Israel and Judah, including pagan worship and also evidence of potential religious reforms, for example, of Josiah, uh, and later even Manasseh.
0: Fascinating stuff. Very interesting.
3: Ryan? All right. Well, my specific focus is on 1 Kings 11, in which God raises up adversaries against King Solomon for his great rebellion against the Lord. There's a fellow named Hadad, another named Rezin, and a third named Jeroboam. All of them eventually became kings, but their stories are absolutely fascinating. Let's study. Despite the fact that God expressly warned King Solomon not to multiply wives, that is precisely what he did. And he did so with great defiance, as the Bible records that he had a staggering 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the result was exactly as God had predicted. His wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not completely devoted to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Though God chose not to destroy Solomon or to take the kingdom away from him presently, the Lord did raise up strong adversaries against him. One of these adversaries was Hadad the Edomite. Of royal descent, he was forced to flee to Egypt as a little boy during King David's eradication of all Edomite males. When young Hadad arrived in Egypt, he found tremendous favor with the Pharaoh, who not only gave him food and provisions, but also a house and land. And if that wasn't enough, Pharaoh even made him a part of his family by giving him the queen's sister as a wife. When David eventually died, Hadad returned to Edom as its king where he would continually oppose Solomon. A second enemy God raised up against Solomon was Rezin. Like Hadad, Rezin's revenge would also be motivated by David's exploits. Apparently, while serving as a commander under the king of Zobah, David attacked and defeated Zobah. But Rezin seems to have either escaped from the battle or else fled from the king later, unwilling to submit to imperial rule from Jerusalem. Whatever the case, Rezin became an outlaw and formed and commanded an army of bandits who helped them seize Damascus and become the king of Aram. This became the rise of the Aramean Kingdom, which by the end of the 9th century BC became the most powerful nation in the Levant. But it was the final adversary the Lord raised up against the son of David that was the greatest threat because he was within Solomon's own ranks. A servant of the king, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was a brave warrior who oversaw one of Solomon's forced labor units. But that all changed when a prophet of God named Ahijah told Jeroboam that the Lord was about to tear the kingdom away from Solomon, or more specifically Solomon's son, and make him the king over 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in a scene very reminiscent of King Saul's undoing in 1 Samuel 15, Ahijah tore his garment into 12 pieces and gave 10 of those pieces to Jeroboam, as a symbol that God was indeed going to tear the kingdom away from Solomon. Although Solomon tried to thwart the fulfillment of this prophecy by having Jeroboam killed, Jeroboam escaped to Egypt, where he stayed until Solomon died. Sadly, years earlier, Solomon had told King Hiram that he had peace on every side, But now, due to his ongoing disobedience, he found himself totally surrounded by these adversaries. King Rezin of Aram from above, and King Hadad of Edom, and his alliance with Egypt from below, and even Jeroboam, a future king of Israel from within. So God's response to Solomon's defiance is interesting. He doesn't destroy him, but he does make his life very difficult by raising up powerful enemies against him. I believe God was surrounding and pressuring against Solomon with the purpose of bringing him to repentance. And it's my own personal belief that it did eventually bring Solomon back to God. And I believe that's expressed in Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes. Now, are difficulties we face in life always due to sin in our lives or being out of the will of God? Not necessarily. Just as Job's friends were dead wrong to believe that Job's suffering was a result of sin in his life, we also would be wrong to assume that someone is suffering for the same reason. You know, there are lots of different reasons that we could be struggling. Like Job, it could be that we're being tested, or it could be that we are in harmony with God's will and purpose, and the enemy of our souls is trying to discourage us and destroy us. And it could also be simply that we live in a cursed and fallen world. God didn't create it that way, but man's sin, in Eden brought that on all humanity. Now, the good news is that the current state we're in isn't forever. Christians will enjoy an eternity with the Lord, free from the problems that we
0: face in this life. Yeah, that's really true. It's very interesting studying this. Janice?
1: Well, written on your heart is what I called my segment today. We pick up here at uh, 1 Kings 11, Solomon's heart turns from... The Lord. This was the wisest man. God had given him great wisdom. But you know what? Even the wisdom of Solomon did not keep him from ignoring what the word of God said. And in Deuteronomy, there are principles governing kings over the nation of Israel. And we're going to start at verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again, neither shall he multiply wives for himself. We heard already um, that Solomon did in fact do that in in a big way, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And it goes on. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself, a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Why? That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. One of the reasons why we have this program, it's encouraging you to daily read the Word of God, and not just to read it, but have it written on your heart. Written in your heart to know it, to believe it, to activate it with the help of God in your own life. Here's a great scripture that talks about not being wise In our own eyes and you know what sometimes that's easy to do a lot of times i think my way is the right way right rod and i try to convince you many ways and the first part of our marriage was like that you and i when we got married we would try to convince one another that our way was the 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 right way and over time we grew and learned and from each other right all right here we go proverbs chapter 3 starting with verse 5. trust in the lord with all your heart Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. So all means everything, everything that you do. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths because he knows what your future is and he cares about what path you take. He doesn't want you to go to the right or to the left. He wants you to follow him. Verse seven, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. He is God. That's a reverent fear. Fear in who he is. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Even the wisest man that we know of, Solomon, did not follow the Lord's word. So you know what? Let's not be foolish, but let's be wise so that we can follow after the Lord and know his word and have it written in our hearts so that we can follow him.
0: we want to encourage you to come to us on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern Time. That is, of course, New York time. And uh, we will pray on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery TV, a live prayer meeting. We pray for you. So we want you to know that. So it's very, very important. Today we pray, Father, again we ask for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray that you would make yourself known there and cover the Lord because soon your feet will stand there. Jesus' name.